Hey everyone, welcome to Hobby TV's first podcast. Uh, we haven't named it yet, so I hope you do join us on this sort of journey into experimentation and learning about digital marketing with us as well. Um, today it's going to be uh, myself and Bob, uh, the CEO at Hobie, and I'm a BDR here on the sales team. Uh, our first topic for our first podcast is sort of, uh, we're going to be talking about the flywheel theory, uh, what it sort of involves, we're going to be conversing about any topics that are linked to it. So if that's your jam, uh, go ahead and keep listening in. Uh, Bob, do you have anything to add? Yeah, thanks it? Rami. Um, actually, the flywheel theory is a very interesting topic, and the reason why I like us to talk about it is because it has such a resemblance and there are a lot of metaphors between what we actually were doing as human beings in 1960s when it came to the steam engine and then how the entire operation of creating power and electricity started and then how the concept was taken a couple of years ago by HubSpot and it was converted into actual action items that you could use in digital marketing on a day-to-day -day basis. So that topic really excites me. I think there's a lot to talk about. And I think one of the main things that they are lacking, uh, that we are lacking as companies in this region and all over the world really, is how do we take specific actionable items that we could put in and then start building on? Because there are so many things we could take, not in theory, but in practice, and really change the way we operate. So I'm very excited, Rami. I, I know that you have a lot of ideas to share with us, and um, let's do it. Yeah. Okay, well, so I wanted to start basically where the flywheel theory came, came from. So you started, uh, you touched on it earlier on. You said it was sort of taken from the, uh, the steam engine when it was first made and how that started keeping going when it gains momentum. So the, the idea behind theory is sort of it gaining momentum and that pushing in forwards, we're switching the from the funnel, which is also another uh, borrowed from our engineering friends, and moving it into the flywheel. So why move over, uh, you know, why make that change? Where did that change come from? Yeah, that's an excellent question, actually. So here's the thing. A funnel is really a unidirectional component. It, start at, it starts at one point, and then it ends at one point. And the role of marketing in that funnel stops when the deal or the prospect or the opportunity goes to the sales stage, right? So think about it this way. At the beginning, in the initiation phase, marketing's role is to generate leads or potential sales, and it's to elevate the brand, right? And then once they do that, they hand it over to sales where you come into play and then start as a BDR qualifying the lead and then handing it over to the account executive who then tries to sell. And then once you sell, you hand it over to the execution team, the project management, implementation. Even if that actually, even if you're not in a software company and you're selling products, this is the same concept. You have sales and then you have after sales. And then after the sales, and the execution, most companies stop. By the way, do you know that 70% of people who leave products or services mm. are leaving these products or services because of indifference? Which means that when they get to the stage where they actually buy or purchase, they're not actually completing the entire thing because they are not being taken care of. So when, when the digital marketeers, marketeers in the world uh, um, started thinking about this and they were thinking like there must be 
components and elements that we could do to elevate the way this entire funnel works. Yeah. And essentially, what they thought about is, okay, I want the customer to be the core of what we do, mm. and I want the entire spectrum to revolve around the customer. The customer is a prospect at the initial stages. They're not really a customer yet. And then the customer is a potential upgrade or referral at the later stage, right? Yeah. Which is also, by the way, the cheapest way to get a new deal is specifically by leveraging your existing clients and making sure that they are happy, right? Mm -hmm. Turning them into promoters. What is promoting? Using that word of mouth sort of marketing tactics. Yes. To get people to come on board and join you. Absolutely. Word of mouth or social proofing. It could yeah. be something that you utilize online or case study. There's a lot of ways you could leverage on that. As long as the customer is happy, he will actually make effort, make an effort to give you what you want and to deliver the message that you would want to hear from him. Yeah, okay. So it's sort of taking taking the funnel and kind of connecting the bottom, the, the bottom of the funnel with the top and sort of making that sort of a, you know, that 2D circle that everyone sort of always pushes around and things yes. like that. Okay. And so what exactly, if you were to sort of look at the flywheel and you were, you were talking about getting people to come in, what's, what gets that flywheel moving? I mean, a funnel, you have a bunch of people coming in from the top of the spout and just kind of getting spat out into sales. Yes. And then they're not really, I mean, they're happy at the time of purchase. People, they get worked on by, you know, the, the salespeople, the marketing team. In, in the flywheel, what keeps them engaged with their supplier, their provider? What's, what's keeping it going? Um, so essentially, think about it this way. There's an input and then there is an output, mm. but they are connected, okay. right? The difference in a funnel, there's an input and there's an output and they're completely disconnected one from the other. In the flywheel, the circular motion that happens means that you have to inject on the top of the funnel some potential leads that will then go through the entire life cycle of the attract, nurture, convert, and then wow. Yeah. And then in the wow stage, when you create yourself promoters, and I always say that, you know, when you deliver good service, yeah. when you make sure that your clients are happy, you don't have to actually have the most sophisticated product in the world. You could be having a basic product, but an elevated customer experience that is driven by your marketing team, by doing surveys to, to gauge how uh, uh, people, how, how your clients are thinking about your product or service, um, by doing elements such as, uh, um, or, or initiatives such as uh, sending them some freebies, uh, giving them some specific content, um, going on the ground with them, checking if they're happy or not, ver using various ways, and always keeping that uh, um, communication and that relationship open will then make them happy customers. A happy customer is a promoter. And by definition, in digital marketing, a promoter is someone who gives your product or service a rate of 9 or 10 over 10 by virtue of them 
highly recognizing and recommending your product or service to a friend of theirs, right? Yeah. So the question that we ask, and, and I know there's a lot of debate on the NPS, whether it's the good way to gauge or, to gauge or not the good way to gauge, there's a lot of other reports and surveys. But what I would say is this, if I have someone who's saying you will get nine or 10 for me to recommend you to someone else, then that's good enough for me, right? I'm, I'm happy with that. And then this person is going to be referring other people or at least facilitating the referral of other people that will then go into the top of the funnel for the attract phase. And then I will go back into the entire circular motion. So that's why you start hearing about customer experience. Right? CX. That's at the core of the entire things. It starts from your website. It starts from your entire content engine, right? And that's what we're doing with Hovi TV. So the nice thing here that you're going to find on our podcast is that we're not going to be theorizing, right? We're going to be telling you things that you could actually implement and that we have or are implementing. So we're not going to tell you go buy some yogurt of uh, the bird, they say. Is that what they say? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we're not going to tell you buy yogurt of the bird. We're not going to tell you things that are unexecutable. We're going to point to you specific actionable items that if you implement, it's going to really change the way you operate. And as a result, you're going to be part of the flywheel theory. And that's why we chose to start with the flywheel theory, because it revolves around how you run your business. That was a long answer, I know. But I tried to cover all the yeah, covered a lot. Uh, I know I know from when I was reading about flywheel theory, mm. this is sort of my sixth, seventh month into digital marketing. Yes. Uh, diving deep into it. Um, something that was said a lot was sort of the, the weight of the flywheel is the customer experience, the, the, the experience that you're, you're able to build for your client, your customer, whatever you're providing for, mm. um, even, even at the prospective stage. Is, is what sort of pushes it forward. I mean, I know in, in, in some of the things I've worked on where I've spoken to prospects, potential prospects, they haven't moved forward in, in the pipeline, mm. but they you know, were very impressed with the level that, that we operate at, and they were impressed by the things that I was talking about. And especially early on, I was surprised how it felt like I knew more than people who had you know, a decade's worth of experience yes. on me. And so, how do you how do you sort of separate customer experience? I mean, a lot of people are now putting out these CXOs, um, customer experience officers, customer experience executives, just sort of that are in charge of customer experience. How do how do you see that as a position that might help the sales and marketing when they are trying to bring in more people into you know the sales pipeline? Yes. Okay. So think about this. You're going into you have a holiday. Right, you booked. Um, what would you book? You booked the villa in uh, Tulum, right, in Mexico. Yeah. And then, as you're going there, and as you're walking, then you have nobody around you. You see absolutely no one, and you keep walking. And then you're on your own. Nobody start starts to or tries to to handhold you to give you something or whatever. And then you go in and it just feels pale, right? Yeah. Now, circle back to another thing, which is actually something that happened to me on one of my trips um, to, to, to uh, an island. And what happens is we actually landed and then we had 
uh, a small airplane, uh, you know, the, 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 like the biplanes. Yes, the biplanes. And then we went on that and then we landed on the sea. And then the sea, we had a small boat that took us from the, the middle of the sea, essentially, or the island, to the shore. And then the moment we arrived on the island, we had like 25 people dancing and jumping, and, and we were two people, right? So dancing and jumping and throwing things at us, like, you know, good things, not bad things, and singing and doing all this hoopla for us arriving and, and it and it felt good, right? It yeah. this is we went to three islands on the trip and this is the island that resonated and stuck in my mind. Because then after that we actually went in and they accompanied us throughout the entire journey. They were checking in every day to see what we need. Um, they had they, they they gave us the ability to uh, uh, customize events within the stay there and what we want to do and how we want to do things, right? Whereas we went to one of the other islands and it was absolutely nothing. We had to do everything, right? Mm -hmm. So next time I go there, if I go there, I'm going to choose this one over that one. And I'm going to go back and tell my friends, hey, you know what? If you're going to that island, then I would recommend you choose this one. Why? Because that's the customer experience. Yeah. Now take that back into the real world, because I know you went in your imagination, and you, I can see you on the Caribbean right now. So come back and think about how you apply this in sales, and actually trickle it back on what you do in yeah. particular. So one of the things that we do, which is very important and essential, think about it this way. When we start with our sales process, right? One of the key things that we're always adamant about is method and discipline, right? Yeah. Whether with whether it's with the initial questionnaire that has to do with the qualification process, whether it's with the step-by-step -step that we do, the booking of the discovery call first, and then how we go about the discovery presentation and then the booking of the demonstration, how we go about it. And if you know, and if you can remember, almost every single prospect that we have demonstrated to have said, we have never experienced this type of process before, right? Yeah. That was a unanimous uh, 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 say across the entire prospect base. Why? Because it was really something that they felt they are being taken care of. And this is where the customer experience starts. It starts from anyone in the company engaging or interacting with anyone outside the company. Yeah. And a potential client is someone you will take through that journey. So in sales, it's very important to follow a process that focuses on what you could bring as value to the client. But you're not just saying that, you're actually making them live it, right? I'm not just telling you that, hey, I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna, I'm showing you throughout the steps how I can take care of you, because then I don't have to say it. Yeah. Then it's there, and you're gonna believe can, it even if I don't see it. it. They're interacting with it. Yeah, they'll see that you're capable of hand, handling them and making sure that you take them through the process step by step, up till you get to a point where you are convinced that they're capable of doing it. Then it gets to what do you add as value with the product that you're providing, with the service that you're providing, and how they could adapt and take it in.
Does that make sense to you? Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you make sure that 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 happens at every stage when you are sort of because it hinges on every touch point. There are yes. a lot of stakeholders involved, yes. uh, you know, throughout the company, throughout um, you know the prospects sort of life cycle or interaction uh, with with us as Hobi here or with any of their other suppliers or vendors, anyone they interact with, basically. Yes. So when what helps sort of facilitate or helps you make sure that that strategy is sort of lived up to or at least enacted because we're we're, we're placing customer experiences as a priority yes it's what we what we want to build on yes how it's do we make sure that, exactly <clears throat> so how do we make sure that that is um, kept the priority on our, on our list i know I, I get to experience the environment here that's usually... I have to ask you, actually. Yeah. I have to ask you. But let me say, let me answer first, because I, I like to talk to you. There are three components to make sure that this is maintained, right? One, <clears throat> it's systems. Yeah. Two, processes. And three, culture. Right? Yeah. These are the three main components to be able to execute any type of project or any type of enablement approach in your company. So first, with the systems in place, you're going to be able to provide your salespeople, your marketing people with all the infrastructure that they need to execute on this experience. Right? That's one. Two, if you have the processes in place and they're very well documented, we internally, we use a tool called Slide, as you know, where all of our processes and playbooks are documented. And everything there is just for us to be reading and taking on board, yeah. right? If the process is there and there is a buy-in from all the team members and we discuss it, we agree on what is best to be done, and then it has to be iterative, right? So every week during the sprint or the, the planning or the pipe review, if it's sales, <clears throat> we talk about what's working, what's not working, and what should adapt. Mm -hmm. So that's the agile methodology of going about this. Then we have the third layer, which is the culture. And that's one of the most overlooked element of any company or any business that is trying to grow, right? A culture in a company that does not respect the outcome in projects is a failing culture, right? Everybody in your company or in your business is responsible of themselves and should be responsible of themselves. And when they say they are gonna do something, then they either have to do it or they're just not responsible, right? And the, the culture of accountability and ownership has to start across the entire organization. So when you have successful people or on the way of successful people, then you know that they're gonna take ownership. And when they take ownership, for them, it's a challenge internally, right? It's not about them trying to do something to please you. It's more to make sure that within themselves, they have validation that they can do the things they want to do. They are good enough. And these are the type of people I would recommend anybody to work with. Because especially when we're talking about startups and scale-ups, because these are the people that will make a difference in the way you operate. And once you do that, then put all these things together and have a good mechanism of going through the processes. I think that will be really, really useful to making sure that these things implement, are implemented. Now, I'm not saying that 
It's going to be implemented 100% of the times. There's always there there are always going to be loopholes, things, situations that you will have to adjust and adapt to. But mainly, and essentially, these are the three core components. Tell me about your experience actually with this because you've experienced that. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, no, um, <clears throat> it's 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 pretty big uh, to see. I mean, what is it? The culture. Okay. When we're when we're talking about sort of. It has an overlooked idea, maybe maybe because I'm I'm still I mean technically when I was still applying for jobs, my newsfeed felt like it was people talking about culture and 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 wanting to work at companies that value their employees and things like that. But I, I saw that in the larger uh, companies that don't have that sort of that aren't in the startup uh, size don't have that startup um, environment, there was very worker bees sort of a mentality. You know I mean. They would put in the the time, the hours. They would put in the time, the hours. They would work hard, but then I mean, they they would also put in these strategies where it was like, um, you know, you you had that weekly meeting with your manager, but it never really meant anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is this is talking from obviously personal anecdotes from friends and and, and uh, family uh, sort of who've worked in companies like that uh, as well. From some experience for me from uh, from my internships before you know being being a BDR here. Um, it seems like it's now becoming a lot more popular, at least it's popping up a lot more as a subject yes. uh, in at least in the startup ecosphere because there there's this big focus on making sure the people you're hiring are able to then, as you said, become successful. They, yes. they take on that accountability. Is that something you, you look at when you are hiring someone? <clears throat> sort of, is it, is it um, like, you know, sort of like an ROI calculation sometimes when you're when you're kind of looking at it. That's a very good question, actually. I think this is something that a lot of people talk about, but it's not implemented correctly. A lot of people say we hire for talent, we don't hire for skills, right? And I don't think they understand what that means. I think they think they understand what that means, but then when they start recruiting, they put this 7,533 list of tasks that you have to do, creating a, um, a bid on Google Ads, making sure that you have a custom report created for analytics, ability to have a segment segregated within analytics so that you could export whatever it is. <clears throat> the problem with this is if the person is able to do that, but he doesn't have the right attitude, he doesn't have the right mindset, then it's only so much you could learn beyond that. And if you're a scale-up that you're trying to and you're trying to grow, then you're gonna get stuck. Right? Yeah. And then you'll have a lot of people with the mindset of, you know, the nine to five. And, and I'm not saying that's wrong, because a lot of people like to do it that way. Actually, we believe in work-life balance in our company and we, we operate on a four-day working week, where the fifth day is actually a right, not a privilege. So um what we do in that case is we focus really on the attitude of the person. What are they trying to prove? What do they want to show and where do they find themselves? How, how much, uh, um, how hungry are they to, to break through? And once you find that, chances are that you're going to be able to mold them with the skills in place because the skills are there. You just have to learn them and you just have to apply them. So the cycle will be, you have someone who's experienced, 
and then you bring in people that have the attitude, even if they don't have the experience, and then it's a flower theory, right? Because the skills are at the core, the new people will learn, and then they will go up, they have experience, then you bring new people down, and then the ones who are up, they will go further. Okay. So it just goes across the board. But, so I, but we absolutely recruit based on talent or attitude, actually. Not even talent, attitude. So just to bring you back to the to the flywheel, because you were talking about it here, I guess in terms of sort of HR when it comes there, but um, when you are putting in a flywheel in any company, mm. it has to be at all levels. It's not just sort of we have a flywheel methodology or, or, or something like that in how we run our sales and marketing. It's, it's also in how, um, you know, management leads the company and when they strategize, it's how... Uh, account management handles the uh, the clients or accounts that they're in charge of yes. when they're talking to them it's not just a, it's not just in, in a specific department it's a company level sort of uh, strategy not just a, a specific methodology for a department yes okay yeah absolutely and and um, it's it's a mindset simply it's a mindset uh, that you either adopt or you don't adopt you can't say I'm doing flywheel and a flywheel approach in sales, but then in marketing, in account management. And by the way, account management is not, it's absolutely not someone who does everything from A to Z. Because you, you see a lot of companies, and, and I ask a lot of people, what, what is your job title? And they say, we're, we're an account manager. But then I ask, what do you do? They say, we search for leads, we find the leads, we qualify the leads, we sell the leads, we issue the invoice, we track the payments, we execute, yeah. and then we cook for them. <laughs> you know? That's pretty much everything. Yeah, it's like account management do everything, and they call them account manager. That's not the role of account managers or success managers. Their role is to take over after the sales have completed their job and then implementation, have delivered the actual product that they have promised, and implementation could be a one-click thing, or it could be a long, hefty process, depending on the service or product that you provide. And then account management's role is to make sure that the actual consumption of the product or service is being, one, done to its fullest capacity. Yeah. So if I'm using a software and I bought 10 users, account management's role is to make sure that 10 users are using the software properly. Then the role is also further than that, to ensure that people are getting the most out of the product or service. So if I'm using all 10 users, but then there is a functionality that could help me with how I operate and I'm not using it, then account management should point that out. And then their third role is to optimize. If I'm, if I'm using the 10 users and I'm using everything, but then there is something that I could be doing in a better way and I'm not doing that, then their role is to empower that. And as a result of all these three, then you have upsells, cross-sells, and resells, right? Because yeah. account management handle and success management handle, everything that has to do with resells and upsells and how you truncate these into would you, the other cycle. Would you say that account management is probably your your best weapon against indifference that you had mentioned in the, in the Absolutely one hundred percent correct. Yes. They're your, they're your best warriors. Yes, there. they are they are the frontliners when it comes to um, when it comes to having the ability to 
um, counter the indifference of potential prospects. Because account management or success management are the people who are engaging with the clients on a regular basis. Now don't get me wrong, that's also a very hot and fiery layer to be in because when things don't work or don't work as as, as expected or there are some, there's something that shouldn't be the way it is, then it's a very hard conversation. But we equip them with the right tools, with the right people, with the right infrastructure, with the right everything so that they could jump on board and uh, be able to fight their fight on behalf of the client or, or the customer. And that should be the case for everybody else when they are executing and when they are delivering something to their clients, you know? Yeah. But yes, account management are, they are the real deal. I did want to bring it a bit back to uh, the environment. I know um, you had mentioned uh, when you were talking about the environment here at Hobie, Mm. Uh, the fifth day is a right, not a privilege. Yes, it this. is a right. Because I, I, I hear a lot of um, people saying that it's a privilege, not a right. And I think they don't know what they're talking about, essentially. Yeah. That's that's part of my question. I mean, this is the first um, company that I've seen that, that really puts that into, you know, that, that has that effect. Um, I know other companies have, have tried to, uh, in the region, have tried to sort of do the four-day work week. Yes. But have not yet, haven't succeeded at the level they would like to um, what, what are your thoughts on on its impact when it comes to work-life balance when it comes to um, you know professional development personal development because you you are building a lot of that into the environment here. yes I'll ask you a question to reciprocate that okay. if you're supposed to make me feel good, yeah. right? Make me laugh, make me have a good time, and all, all these things. Keep you smiling. Please. But then you're not feeling good on the inside, yeah. right? No matter what, how much effort you do, it's not gonna come off authentic, and it's not gonna hit into the nerve of my death. That's it. I mean, the heart death. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas if you were actually happy or you had you were feeling good on the inside then you're going to be able to deliver um, the actual experience or good energy across yeah. right now that's key to having the right flywheel theory the culture and the atmosphere is key and you'll see a lot of people jump on board and then they will not be sustained right the system will actually uh, uh, drop them out because they will think of it as a tool they could utilize to to leverage themselves or to uh, get somewhere or to you know to abuse that tool. Yeah. Whereas the people who really understand that these are tools for them to shine and to to give back to the company and then take back because the company is also everybody's ownership. Then at that stage, you will see that people will be able to deliver a good customer experience across all levels, right? When you have the four-day working weeks, for example, as you mentioned, it's not supposed to be something whereby uh, um, you work less, right? Because I guarantee you every single person on the team, or at least 90% of the people on the team, they, have, they work the hardest possible. There's always people that try to outsmart the system. That's normal. 
but the, the process will filter them away. It's always the case. When you have a good process in place, when you have a good mechanism of reporting, when you have good leadership, these people will be filtered out right away, right? Because results will show, outcomes will show, and then it's a matter of making the adjustments and adapting, rather than preventing everybody else from having these benefits, like you know, having a therapist on the team, coaching programs, uh, one-on-ones, uh, professional plans um, that the company invests in to actually grow them, right? Um, because what you want to do as a startup, and most of the entrepreneurs and startups are passionate people. They have passion, they have drive, and they want to achieve something. They want to make a difference. And that's where you start making a difference, within your own circle, within your own company, within your own people. I mean, the flywheel so seems to be, it's not just you know, one big push for to enhancing a pipeline or getting in more sales. It's sort of a, a lot of categories of weight. You know, each fan is sort of one piece of the bigger core to get, yeah. Yes. So, okay. And that's all connected in the middle, you would say, by the customer experience. Yeah, that's what you essentially are trying to do, right? Yeah. If you don't sell, you don't have a good product or a good engine. Eventually, everything you do has to culminate in selling and delivering, right? Yeah. And then when you deliver, then you're on to the next recycling. And with every cycle you go through, with every fan uh, 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 um, cycle that happens, you have to bring in learnings, adapt, and then overcome. Mm -hmm. And that's the iteration concept. And it, it, <clears throat> it is actually applicable. It's not just theory. It's something you could apply on your day-to-day -day basis. For example, our project management...